of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Lord to you, Lord Christ. But when the Helper comes, whom will I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Christ. Jesus Christ, we come together today as recipients of your spirit, of your good news. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that we might hear from you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <laughs> so as I mentioned in the welcome, today is Pentecost. When we celebrate the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all of us, upon all flesh. Last week was Ascension, and that's when we celebrate Jesus being taken up into heaven. So Ascension was on the 40th day after Easter, uh, although we celebrated it on Sunday. Uh, technically it was on Thursday. And today is Pentecost, the 50th day after Easter. And so... Uh, if you remember to last week, what Jesus says is he told his disciples to go and to wait in Jerusalem. Am I a little, am I a little hot? Am I a little loud to you guys? It's okay. Okay, some people are nodding their heads saying yes. Okay. I don't want to blow you all away. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is here. And so the, the disciples have been waiting in Jerusalem for 10 days. For 10 days they've been waiting there. And before this passage, it tells us that there's about 120 of them gathered there. Disciples, uh, a lot of the women who were there who went to see him at the tomb and who had been following Jesus. Jesus' mother and his brothers were there with them. Uh, several other people were there, but only 120 of them. If you were here on Easter morning, uh, we actually had about 130 people here on that Sunday. And so think of even less than that. That's all the Christians in the world, all gathered together uh, in a room. I mean, they could have easily have filled this room, right? So 
It, the text tells us that they had devoted themselves to the prayers. That's what they had gathered for. Now, whenever you hear a phrase like that, devoted themselves to the prayers uh, in the scriptures, it's a way of, of saying that they were devoting themselves to praying the Psalms. They were praying the Psalms together. This is the prayer book of God's people. Songs of praise, but also songs of lament. Songs of every kind of emotion, joy and sadness, uh, sorrow and celebration. No doubt in the aftermath of Jesus departing from them, all these emotions were whirling around inside of their hearts. And they were leaning on these ancient texts uh, to comfort them, to, to console them as Jesus has left. But they were also reading the Psalms with these new Jesus lenses on. Because keep in mind, they had just spent a lot of time with Jesus and he had, he had opened up the scriptures to them and pointed out all the moments in which he was present through them. And so no doubt, that's how they were also reading through the Psalms for the first time. They were seeing Jesus as the one who receives their praises. They were seeing Jesus as the one who restores their fortunes. They were seeing Jesus as the one who shepherds and protects their souls. And so here they are, 120 of them, having an intense 10-day-long prayer retreat. And so there's three things I would like to show you from this Pentecost reading that we had. So the first is that the Spirit comes in power. The second is that the Spirit speaks to his people. And the third is that the Spirit gives us purpose. So the Spirit comes in power, the Spirit speaks to his people, and the Spirit gives us purpose. And if you've heard me preach for a long time, you know that I never use alliteration. So you're, you're witnessing history here today. I'm using alliteration. All of you who grew up in Baptist churches are like, yes, finally. <laughs> so the Spirit comes in power, speaks to his people, and gives us purpose. So first, the Spirit comes in power. The text tells us, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So a mighty rushing wind. This wasn't just a cool spring breeze that we pray comes through here, through this gymnasium some days, to kind of freshen up the place. No, this was a fierce wind. It was terrifying, and it was loud, and it shook the entire place. This was a wind similar to the one that pushed back the Red Sea, and allowed the Israelites to walk through on dry ground. This was a wind that was similar to the one that Elijah saw, that Elijah saw, that peeled off rocks from the mountain as he was preparing for the Lord to come. This is the wind that the psalmist tells about, the wind that is stirred by the great word of the Lord, that the Lord himself rides on the wings of the wind. This is a wind such as the prophets described, that would come and cleanse the land of all the corrupt kings and prophets, and it would prepare the way for God himself to come and be with his people. You see, this is the wind that ushers in the dreaded and yet desired day of the Lord. Now, the disciples certainly were not prepared, were preparing themselves for this. You see, they were hidden away in a house, hidden away in prayer, but God loves to interrupt us in our prayers. God loves to come down and meet us as we're soaking ourselves in the scriptures. He loves to make himself known. So friends, do you want to meet God? Well, seep yourself in his scriptures, especially his prayer book, especially the Psalms. Read through them. 
Uh, in a little bit, in a few weeks, we're going to be uh, releasing a reading plan to everyone to use for the summer. And it's going to have the psalms in it. They're quite a rich dose of psalms. And I'm excited to share that with you. And by doing this, what we're doing is we're tilling the soil of our hearts by feeling and saying what God's people have been saying and feeling for thousands of years. Well, not only do we read the scriptures, but we also wait. We wait. And sometimes we wait for an hour. Sometimes we wait for 10 days, and sometimes it's 10 years upon 10 years. But we wait for God to come. And when we wait on the Lord, he will show up. Well, our story continues, and not only does wind come, but tongues of fire appear over people's heads, and they begin to speak, not in their own languages, but in the languages of all the nations of the people who were in Jerusalem at that time. And this commotion attracts a huge crowd. And so no doubt this crowd kind of comes around the house and maybe within the courtyard of the house. They're trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. Everyone's completely confused as to what's happening. Did you notice the two kinds of reactions that people had to this great work? Some people were there and they said, what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of this? But then there were others who were there who were shouting out mockery to the disciples. So be prepared, people of God. When you encounter Christ, those are the two reactions that no doubt you'll encounter, not just one or the other. You'll be encountering some who see what God is doing in your life and they want to inquire, they want to know what the meaning is of what's happening. But others, they might know what's happening, but they're going to meet you with mockery instead. And sometimes, actually, usually all the time, the mockery is usually louder and a little bit more entertaining to listen to, right? Didn't you kind of giggle when they were teased for being drunk? You know, maybe you've been teased in similar kinds of ways as well when you've encountered God. But that question, what does it mean, is obviously where we're going to be going today. What does it mean, the crowds ask? Well, that brings us to the second thing. The Spirit speaks to his people. The Spirit speaks to his people. Have you ever learned a language before? Oh my goodness, it's hard. Oh, it's so hard. I probably shouldn't be confessing that, but man, it is hard to learn another language, right? Maybe you learned, language, maybe you learned something in high school or seminary or something scary like that. Or maybe you learned a language in preparation for an upcoming trip. But learning a language is hard, stinking work. It involves a lot of focused study. You can't just cram beforehand. You need to be carrying your flashcards around you everywhere you go. You need to be listening to it uh, in the car while you're driving. You need to be studying the vocabulary of a new language. You need to be studying the grammar of it. You need to learn how to, how to construct verbs and sentences. You need to learn how conjunctions are used in this language. What pr pronouns are to be used in certain situations, participles and prepositions, all of this stuff goes into learning and mastering a language. And some of you are, are having flashbacks right now, and you're like, I don't want to do this. And then sometimes, even after spending years and years in classes learning a language, if you don't practice it, it starts to ooze out of your ears, and you forget the thing, right? In fact, I had a Hebrew professor who warned us on the first day of school he said, you know, by now some of you, you've seen the graduation ceremonies and what those are like and how, you know, all, all the graduating um, seminarians, you know, these tears are just rolling down their eyes, you know. And he was like, don't be fooled. 
That is Hebrew escaping their eyes right now. You know, they're crying because the Hebrew is leaving their body. It's so easy to forget. And we were talking about how much we love Hebrew, though. So it's, it's, if you have an opportunity, you want to hang on to your Hebrew. So you need to be continuously practicing a language. But also, learning a language requires submission. It requires submission. You have to submit to your teacher, right? You have to trust them that the weird things that are sometimes useless actually will come into play later. But also, for many, uh, for many adults... Usually you need to submit to a child as well. And we see this in a lot of uh, immigrant communities who, who come to the States and their kids usually learn the language first. And then you have adults learning from children. And that can be an extremely humbling experience, right? When you're supposed to be the leader in the house, but yet you're, you're sitting down and asking your kids to teach you this language. And then there becomes a key moment in your language learning. When you move from being a student of the language to being fluent in the language, do you know what marks that change? What do you think it is? You know, when when this change happens, sure, grammar and syntax is still interesting to you, but what changes is that you begin to love not just the language, but the people who speak it. Your heart begins to go out to those in that culture The songs that they sing start to pop up in your imagination. You want to read their poetry. You want to eat the food that they eat. You care about their country's victories and their defeats. You watch their sports. And maybe you've even visited their cities and just fallen in love with the culture there. That's when the language takes root in you. Perhaps you've even been given a new name when you visit these countries and you tell them that that's your name when you're there. When this happens, you've moved not just from speaking a language, but speaking a people. You move not just from speaking a language, but to speaking a people. And Pentecost, this is the day in which we celebrate that God is speaking his people. He is meeting his people. He is speaking to us. He's speaking our heart language. He knows all the ins and outs of our cultures, all of our victories and our defeats, and he's coming and he's speaking to us. Not just with words, but with our hearts. The love of the Father is being poured out upon people on Pentecost. Did you hear the questions that the, people's, that the people asked? Those Galileans, they're speaking my language, they say. <laughs> that was some of the Galileans, right? <laughs> speaking in tongues out there right now. They say, they're speaking my language. How is it that they know my language? How is it that they know me, they say. Matt, do you mind grabbing the door? Thanks. Church plants, man. Oh my goodness. You never know what's going to happen, right? (laughs) So how in the world do they know me, the crowd was asking. You see, this is evidence that God loves his people. And he loves you and he loves me. And he loves us so much that he wants to tell us the stories of what he has done, but he wants to do it in our own languages, in our own language. So when the church is healthy, that she is speaking the language of those around her. She listens to the culture around her. The church learns the passions of the people around her. 
Not so that she can blend in and become uh, uh, ingenuous to her own convictions, but that, so that she can talk to the people around her. And this was one of the key themes of the Reformation. Throughout Europe in the 14 and 1500s, Bibles were being translated in all sorts of languages, to German and to French, to Spanish. And then in England, it was William Tyndale who first translated the Bible into English, and he was actually killed for doing so. But the Reformers knew that we need to get the text, we need to get God's stories in the language of the people. And the Reformers believed not just the languages of, of the people, but also the prayer book as well. And so they took uh, a lot of the ancient prayers that the church had been using and they translated it into English. And they called it the Book of Common Prayer because the Reformers believed that they wanted all the people to be praying things in common in the morning and in the evening and on Sundays so that as one church we could be speaking our own language to God and hearing about Him. Every successful missionary movement has been marked by this by translating God's languages into his, or God's word into the native language of people. Because God wants to speak to you, to us. In his church, we get to join in that process of storytelling. So that brings me to the third point. The Spirit gives us purpose. The Spirit gives us purpose. In 2 Corinthians, this is sort of an aside, but in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, as I was looking at this passage, I was thinking, if you ever want an image of what those treasures in jars of clay look like, look at the apostles standing up in front of the crowds in Jerusalem. Here we have 12 lowly men, fishermen, and tax collectors from Galilee, and they're teaching entire crowds. No doubt the crowds were pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem to learn about God, to worship God, and instead, they're listening to these fishermen talk. They're uneducated. They've got no importance, no wealth. They're standing there with nothing but a story to tell. And of course, the Holy Spirit. That helps. These men are merely cracked clay vessels holding a tremendous treasure. So some of us here, we know the power of a good counselor in our lives. Maybe you've been to therapy and you've, you know when you have someone in your life, a counselor who listens well to you. And the role of a good counselor is to interpret the stories of your past and sometimes retool them or reframe them to you. Like a chiropractor, a good counselor will adjust and reorient the stories and the foundations of your body. Maybe she'll, she'll find God moving in those stories where you hadn't looked before. She'll say things like, I notice you described this experience in this way. Have you thought about it like this before? I notice you say this word over and over again. Why, why do you use that word instead of using this one? And sometimes this can be a really painful experience. Maybe you've got some hurtful experiences in your past that you've forgotten or you've tried to forget. Or maybe you have some favorite memories of yours that you just absolutely love, but it comes to light that those stories actually aren't that big of a deal. <laughs> they probably shouldn't be focused on. You see, a good counselor will take the worst tragedies of our life and turn them into opportunities for strength and for redemption. And they'll set you on the path forward 
full of wellness and health. Well, Peter stands in front of the crowds of those gathered there that day. Not for therapy, no, but for something, something much more strong and true and real. He stands in front of them, giving them evangelism, showing them discipleship, showing them actual soul care. He's retelling the story of Israel and introducing the people to Jesus, showing them where Jesus has been at work in their lives, in the stories of their nation for thousands of years. Peter pulls from the ancient scriptures to remind the people of God's promises to them. Promises that God will, in fact, bring a Messiah to rescue his people. Promises that God will pour out his spirit upon all the people. You see, Peter is connecting these ancient texts to also to these current events. He talks about Jesus, and he confronts the lies that have been circulating about Jesus at that time. And he proclaims the truth of who Jesus really is. This man who you crucified, God raised from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the throne of heaven. Peter connects all these things to Jesus' triumph over evil at the cross of Calvary. And the text tells us that the people are cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart. They've just received an adjustment, not of their spine or their psyche, but of their souls. What must we do, they cry out. And then Peter offers them a free gift. He says, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. And you can receive the forgiveness of your sins. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and for everyone. Not just us, but it's for you and for everyone. Friends, people want to desperately hear this story. People want to hear this story, even you and me. It's so good to hear these stories week after week of God reaching out. Several of us, uh, a couple days ago, went out for, for quite an adventure one evening. It was, it was exciting. <laughs> we went to Pulse down at the U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, this was a huge evangelical event where churches all across the Twin Cities came. There were about 50,000 people who were there. There was very loud music there, let me tell you. But it was, it was incredible. It was great. Had a lot of fun in the name of Jesus. And at one point, the, the moderator of this, his name's Nick, uh, at one point, he stood up and he was asking the crowd about specific issues that were in their lives. And I've never seen this before, but he asked folks to, to hold up their cell phones and turn on the flashlight if the issue that he said actually resonated, uh, resonated with, with you. So if you were struggling with something, he invited folks to actually hold up their flashlights. And the whole U.S. Bank Stadium was so dim that you'd see these flashlights just flickering and flickering all over the place. He would ask people about addictions or self-harm. He would ask people about um, doubts about God that they had. And his questions as he went on, they kept getting heavier and heavier. And some lights would go out, but at any given moment, there were always about a couple, several thousand lights that were flickering. And they just popped out like stars in the night sky. You know, and it just made me think that each one of those people holding out their phones, holding out their flashlights was someone saying, here I am. I've got issues, and I want God to take care of them. And there were thousands of them. 
And these are people who are in our cities with us. And I love Pulse. I'm so glad that that happened. That was marvelous. But that is just a one and done big event. And we, friends, are the church. And we get to live in our neighborhoods alongside these people. And so I want you to, or I'm asking you this morning, who are the people that God has placed in your life who are waving their flashlights around? Who are the people who've seen the stories of God moving in your life and they want to know more? They want what you have. So maybe you're here this morning and that's actually, this is actually the first time that you've heard this. I don't know. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard that the God of the Bible actually pours his spirit out on us today and wants to actually talk to us today and deal with our issues today. This isn't just an ancient text, but this is a living text, speaking and moving and talking to us. And if that's you, if you want to talk more about these things, I would love to do that with you, uh, either in back or you know, at the potluck, or maybe we can grab coffee together sometime. I would love to talk about this. How is the Spirit moving in your life? My prayer for those of us who, who call restoration our home, my prayer is that we can be Pentecost people, that we can be people who are completely immersed in the stories of Scripture, who look for God in the Scriptures, who talk with God in the Scriptures, but also that we can be a people who are constantly studying the language of the culture of people around us that we know how to talk their talk and enter into their struggles and understand their issues. I pray that we can be masters at proclaiming the gospel into the lives of those around us. Proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners like you and like me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.